great to gather together. What a privilege it is for us to uh, gather together as God's people to worship him na- His name. So thank you, music team, for, for leading us in worship and song this morning. Uh, let me pray for us together. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you, of your holiness, your majesty, your power, as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your word and your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today. That we'd be challenged and that we'd be changed by your word through the working of your spirit in our hearts. That we'd be obedient followers of Christ, rightfully reflecting him. And Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and with gentleness. That you will be centered, that you will be glorified, and as you continue to save and sanctify your people. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we continue on in our series of churchology, the who and what we are, uh, this morning we're going to be uh, talking about the church as the temple of God. And so I have a question, is what comes to mind when you think of temple? When you think of a temple, what sort of things come to mind? Um, you know, maybe it's a big building, you know, majestic and sacred, or maybe it's very ancient looking. Um, maybe there's treasure and gold in it. Uh, perhaps it's very creative with you know, glorious pictures, uh, fine details. Uh, often the temple is also seen as the meeting place of, of heaven and earth. Often there's uh, a God, uh, in a sense, assigned to that place. But do you ever think of yourself? Has that ever come to your mind when you thought of temple? Or us as a church being a temple. You know, often when you think of being a temple, you you think, how could I be a temple when I'm so messed up? When I feel, you know, dirty or, or gross? You know, how could God live in this mess? How could God be in this temple? But theologically, it's so important as a church to remember that God calls us to be His temple. And so I want to start by... Talking about what is a temple, to understand the purpose of the temple within God's word. God has called his people to be the temple, but to understand the significance and application of that, we need to first go back and understand what the purpose of the temple was. And so to really understand the temple, we actually can find ourselves all the way back in Genesis. The very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, in which God had fellowship with Adam and Eve in which he was worshipped before the fall of man and sin. See, God desired to be with his people, to dwell with them. Not that he needed to. He didn't need our relationship, but he desired to share his glory with us. It was a place where God's presence dwelled, a place where he was worshipped as creator, God, and king of heaven and earth. And unfortunately, the curse of sin but Adam and Eve's disobedience to God separated and broke that relationship between God and man. And no longer was there peaceful presence, but shame and fear, and they were cast from the garden, and their separation both 
from them and God and from one another. As we continue through the Old Testament, we see that God's heart continues to be that His presence is with His people. As we look in Exodus 29, uh, 45 to 46, it says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. However, due to sin, very specific and strict instructions were given uh, as to how this was to come about within the tabernacle, which is like a portable tent, uh, which was, in a sense, a different temple where God dwelt. There was a courtyard in which uh, worship and sacrifice was done. However, only priests were actually allowed to enter the tent, enter the tabernacle, to perform their duties. And only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed that resembled God's presence with his people. So even with these strict instructions, even with uh, these very fine details, there was still a separation Although God's presence was with his people, these restrictions were both good reminders of the seriousness of God's holiness and the seriousness of the unholiness of us. The temple built reflected the tabernacle, except in a grander way, bigger and more expensive, with fine gold uh, and materials used to build it. Uh, The first temple built by Solomon was to reflect the glory of God in its design and materials used, the Holy of Holies being a perfect cube overlaid with gold. And so as we continue on through the whole uh, uh, canon of the Bible, we see this theme of temple being played throughout. And always to serve the same purpose of God's presence to be with His people. That God was to dwell there. That He was to walk among them. And for Him to be worshipped through a process of sacrifices and atonement of sins performed by the priests to make themselves clean and pure before a most holy God to worship Him. However, this place and process was shared only amongst the Jewish people. You know, the promised covenants and rituals and the Messiah to come to bring about this restoration and peace to God's people, the Gentiles had no part in that to share in the Jewish practices and rituals, as well as to share in the covenantal blessings that were given to them. Instead, they were alienated, both from God and from others, separated even physically from Jewish believers, and left without hope. The sad reality is that even the Jews, who rested more on their outward ritual practices than true inward faith and obedience to God, both people We're representing a lost and broken people. Uh, In this book called Holiness uh, by J.C. Ryle, as he writes on the subject of sin, he writes this, and he paints this picture of a temple. And he says, We can acknowledge that man has all the marks of a majestic temple about him, a temple in which God once dwelt, but a temple which is now in utter ruins. A temple in which a shattered window here and a doorway there and a column there still gives some faint idea of the magnificent original design. 
but a temple which from end to end has lost its glory and fallen from high estate. And we say that nothing solves the complicated problem of man's condition but the doctrine of original or birth sin and the crushing effects of the fall. And this is where Paul comes in and addresses a new temple that is being built. Uh, so why don't you turn with me to Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, as we begin to uh, look into what it truly means to be the temple of God. So Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22, reads... Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so the first thing that we see in verses 11 to 13 is that there is this division in the temple. Paul points the Ephesians church back to remember their previous status and the many divisions they found themselves in between them and God and the Jews and the Gentiles. In regards to their status, there's a past shame of who they were when compared to God's chosen people. They were Gentiles in the flesh, pointing to the impure and unclean status of their body that they were just born into. Paul then calls them to remember the rejection which they experienced for being Gentiles. Like we said before, for the Jews, the physical sign of circumcision was a mark of covenantal privilege, standing, and purity. The Gentiles were rejected as a circumstance of their birth. Addressing the Gentiles in the Ephesus church, Paul first points in verse 12 to their separation from Christ. In Christ, we receive every spiritual blessing, as it says in Ephesians 1.3, as well as our rescue from the flesh, from the world, and from sin, which comes from being united with Christ. So them not sharing or having that separation from Christ, they don't have that same blessing and salvation. Paul then points to their alienation from the commonwealth of Israel. Gentiles were not the chosen people of God. And the privilege that came from belonging to Israel 
not only were the covenants of promise uh, that God made in the Old Testament the basis of God's relationship with his people, but also the social glue that tied the Jewish people together, that united them together, united neighbors and worship communities and families. They were a covenant kind of people. And so there was a lack of intimacy uh, of the most precious relationships that the Gentiles didn't have between God and between others. Paul says that they had no hope, no foundation to rest in, nothing for salvation, nothing for the future resurrection, no blessings and favor of God and the hope of the coming Messiah that the Jewish people rested on. Lastly, they were without God in this world. No relationship with the true living God, the creator and sustainer of the world. God was absent from their consciousness and the hope that they rested in and longed for was not there. The Gentiles felt this dirtiness and separation. For yourself, you can think of a time maybe in which you felt very guilty and you know that sick, sinking feeling in your gut. You feel dirty. You feel gross. And you have this inability to clean that dirt. Nothing that you do, no amount of showers that you take can clean that away, can make you feel any less dirty and gross. This is the kind of feeling that Paul was trying to express to the Gentile people and to the Ephesus church. The Gentiles felt this solely based on being born outside of the nation of Israel. They were rejected, and I'm sure a lot of us have experienced rejection at some point before. Being called out, being made fun of for circumstances in which you were just born and something that you had no control over. Being excluded and separated from others. Paul was trying to bring up these memories so that the Gentiles understood where they once were. And it's important for us to realize that we're in the same place. When you realize that, perhaps, you know, you're feeling a bit heavy-hearted right now. Gasping for some spiritual air. We have been separated from God because of our sin. Paul has hit us quite hard and hit the Ephesus church quite hard. The constant reminders of sinfulness, of their flesh, of their inescapability from the shame, from this dirtiness that they felt... Paul knew, though, that it was important to point them back to the reality of their former shame, to understand the reality that God was bringing them into, the building of this new temple. God had a plan in it all and pursued both the near and far. See, Paul was pointing them to the gospel. And something important for us, ourselves, as we share the gospel, is to remember that we need to express that we are sinners. We have sinned. We've been separated from God. God does love us, and he sent his son to die on the cross for us. But when we don't share the destruction of our sin, it doesn't elevate how amazing it is that God saved us from it. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned, and therefore there is no being in God's presence. Just so that sin would be destroyed, meaning us, the sinner. And so, God made a way for us 
to be restored in that relationship. By sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross and who rose again, restoring that relationship between man and God. He brought us close to our Heavenly Father through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. For those not in Christ, Paul clearly shows that uh, where you are standing, separated from Christ, alienated from one another, not sharing in the promises of God and without hope, still guilty and dirty in your sin, headed for death. But faith in Christ leads to our salvation, God's amazing grace and forgiveness freely given, and our hope in this world and for eternity. And this is how God builds his temple, his dwelling place. By bringing people to himself, he brings them together as he saves and changes their hearts for him to dwell. So as we continue on in verses 14 to 18, we see that unity is beginning to be restored in this temple. After looking back on their past and realizing their new and shared identity in Christ, Paul now points the Ephesian church to their present circumstance, with Christ as their unifier, Christ as their peace. The far have now been brought near. Though once enemies of God and one another are now being unified together. Not because Christ gives us peace, but because he is our peace. That we would be reconciled back to God and be unified together through that. Peace with God and with one another, that God may dwell in us and among us as his temple. As Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, you, uh, which indeed you were called, in one body, and to be thankful. With Christ as our peace, Paul points to two things happening. Uh, he says that it, it makes us become one. As we see in verse 15, by abolishing the law, commandments, expressed and ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. We are no longer divided. Two separate parts. The Gentiles and Jews were no longer divided, but they are made as one people. Paul no longer allows the you versus us sort of mentality, and the language he uses now is plural. He uses us and we. If we are to be God's temple, we can't be divided. Yet is not our world a dividing world? So many people individually thinking of themselves, separating themselves from other people. As much as we talk about peace and coming together, all the more we see divisions between people of different ethnicities, of race and culture. We see divisions of those of certain ages and generations. We see divisions even amongst families and friends. Rivalries, grudges, hostility towards one another. And we see so clearly amongst gospel-preaching churches and within the churches themselves. Our world is full of division because of our sin. As a church, may we not be a church that is divided. If we are to be the temple of God, if we are to be reflecting Christ, we need to be unified together in Christ. 
as his temple in which he dwells. For in Christ he brings us together and not apart. He unifies us as one. We are made one in the precious blood of Jesus Christ who is our peace, the Prince of Peace. We must stop the hatred, the gossip, the bitter glances, the petty remarks, the divisions amongst us. But in Christ may we be united with Him as a commonality. Not for us to be happy, but that the world may see God glorified through His church, through His temple. In John 17, 23, Jesus says, I am them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Paul continues and says that Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. There was much division between Jew and Gentile, and greatly so in religious ceremony and practice. And so as Christ brought them together, he also destroyed those things that were keeping them apart. The Gentile being able to Uh, was only able to see and uh, not participate in the rituals and ceremonies and practices of the Jewish people. They're not able to benefit. So in his flesh, Jesus broke that dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the commandments and ordinance, ritual rites and practices that the Jewish people held so strongly onto. No longer is there this barrier of laws and rituals of how they're supposed to live and act But the Jew and Gentile became one. No longer was this unclean and clean. The division amongst them through Jesus Christ made them pure and holy. And even amongst the Jew and priest, when there was that separation, in Jesus, who became our high priest, with our sins forgiven and our lives made pure before God, brings us into God's presence clean and pure for all who put their faith in Him. No longer were these temple sacrifices necessary for once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice perfectly fulfilled all the law required and broke the divider between the Jew and the Gentile. In Hebrews 4, 14-16 it says, Since we then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help uh, in time of need. And so Jesus, as our high priest, brings us into God's presence. But Jesus did even more than that. He didn't just take these two people and bring them together, but he made them a new man. That he would reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, as we see in verse uh, 15 and 16. And he killed the hostility in that way by making us a new person. No longer hostility between the two because they were the same. No longer do they see the human distinctions within one another that separated them, but they see each other wholly in Christ alone. 
made new in Christ, made one in Christ. And that is how God's temple is to be. That is how he begins to build that temple together. And upon bringing us together as one, Jesus broke the division between God and man. The hostility that we had that was first broken vertically with God, which resulted in the chaotic, horizontal division amongst one another, Jesus restored both in his death and resurrection on the cross. And so, pointing to the coming Messiah of peace, Paul, in verse 17, points to Jesus, who brings that peace, who preached that peace, both to the far and near, both to the Jew and Gentile, bringing us together as one. For in and through him, we both have access in the Spirit of God to the Father, God's presence with us, bringing us access to God the Father, that God would dwell with his people. When one comes to Christ, they are changed and made new. There's a heart transplant in them. They are no longer how they once were, lost and dead in their sin, but they are made new and alive in Christ and will continue to be changed and sanctified for God's purposes and for God's glory. This is the saving and uniting power of the gospel, and it's why it's so important that we preach the gospel uh, here at church and continue to preach it to ourselves and to one another throughout the week. We need to be reminded of this because this is what unites us together. In verses 19 to 22, as we continue on, we see that God's people, uh, God's people as the temple, no longer are they strangers and aliens, but they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul concludes with the new reality of this temple, the new status, the new purpose, from strangers to citizens, you know, a stranger was someone who was from another place, another hometown, you know, and didn't live in this area, but came in and visited. They didn't belong, and you could tell. You know, it's like seeing someone from another school come into your school. It was weird. It happened to me a lot. When you do sports, another sports team, you can tell that they're not part of your school. But Paul is saying those who were once strangers are now a citizen in your country, are now a student within your school. Their homeland is your homeland. Our citizenship is in heaven, as it says in uh, Philippians 3.20. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, a new citizen in God's heavenly kingdom. Paul brings these metaphors farther by saying we go from alien to family. Alien being that new kid who transferred schools but you know, doesn't really belong to this new one. Maybe you've felt that before if you ever had to go to a, a new school. You know, he's part of the school, he's part of the group, but he doesn't really fit in. He's not sharing in the same privileges and rights as the other kids. Uh, there was a show I watched that 
actually touched upon that idea. There was a new kid at school, and the way that the kids treated him was just terrible. They didn't, he didn't even have a name. They just called him New Kid. He wasn't allowed to hang out with anyone. He didn't play with anybody. When he walked to them, they just ignored him and turned away or walked away. And he didn't even have a name. But Paul is saying that these people who lived in this place were not just living in the city, but they're actually living in the household. They were family members. Living in the same house. Adopted into God's household along with the rights and privileges and responsibilities as a children of God. Not just living in the same city, but now in the same house, the same family. It points to the assurance of the Heavenly Father receiving them and adopting them in as His children promising to protect and provide for them, bringing them into a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, united by Christ together. And lastly, Paul turns to his final metaphor, that these children are, being, uh, are building stones used in the building of God's holy temple, stone by stone together, building up this glorious place for God to dwell. The dwelling of God is no longer in the physical temple, only accessible through right sacrifice and ritual and by a holy priest, but in Christ, who became the final and perfect sacrifice, gives us access to God in which he dwells in us. This building of this new temple is founded on the teaching of the apostles and prophets who pointed to Christ in their teachings and their writings. And it's founded on Christ himself as the cornerstone, the cornerstone being that, that corner piece of a building that's the guide to the rest of how the building is put together. Christ as our guide, resting on God's word of the apostles and the prophets teaching to us. As a church together, we need to be united on this. United in Christ, united on what God says by his word of his truth. With these as our foundation, we as a church are being built. Not how we think it should be, Not how we think it should look, but how God intended it for us. To be his dwelling place, to be his temple, his spirit gifted to us. And together being built as his church, his people, and his children. This idea of temple is so important. It brings us together. I know for the past couple years, talking to especially young people, one of the biggest concerns that they always have is that they feel lonely. This temple not only restores this relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, but it gives us a family with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brought together to worship and glorify Him, and He dwells with us. As we wait the day of when Christ returns, and we are with our Heavenly Father for eternity in His glorious and holy presence. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And in 2 Corinthians 6.16, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And lastly in Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so what? Why is this so important? As a church, in Christ we are being built up by the Spirit into God's temple, his dwelling place. And so I ask you, what temple are you? How is your life reflecting a temple of the Lord, a temple of where God's Spirit dwells? How is the church, Nowood, reflecting a temple of the Lord? Are we living as a temple? Because as a temple, we are to be unified with our identity in Christ and founded on Christ. And this really goes along with our uh, vision as a church uh, with the pulpit, teaching and preaching of God's word, resting on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, preaching the gospel to one another and worshiping God by his word together. What are we doing today? What What we are doing today is not normal. It's a beautiful result of God's work in us. And we gather to gratefully glorify Him in Christ by the Spirit who unifies us together. We're also to be continuing to be built up by the Spirit. And this goes along with our uh, idea of table, of discipleship, of committing to God and to one another in membership, of locking arms together, of discipling one another, of keeping one another accountable of how we are living of calling one another out and giving each other a smack if we need it. Because we need it sometimes. (laughs) Of continuing to seek sanctification, to continuing to grow in God. We are to be His people. And so may we help one another in that, to grow in that, to be teaching one another uh, in His Word, to be meeting together, to be pouring into one another. That is what His temple is to be. And lastly, we're used to build the temple stone by stone. Praise God that he uses weaklings like us to share the good news of the gospel, to give this hope that we have, to bring people into the family, to share the gospel that God would work in their hearts and change their hearts to live out the Great Commission as his church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is that not the temple? May we reflect God as his temple, as his dwelling place to those around us. This is our idea of square, of going out and reaching people with God's word, with the gospel, the truth and the hope that we have in Christ. That's what it practically means for us to be the temple. And so church, I pray that we remember that, that we continue to think of ourselves as a temple and begin to take action on that. Because as a church in Christ, we are being built up by the Spirit in God's temple to be His dwelling place. Let me pray. Heavenly Father God, we have been challenged by Your Word, by uh, Paul's uh, writings in Ephesians as he points to the division that we once found ourselves in, separated from sin and separated from one another, God, just based on our our birthright, the Jews and the Gentiles. But God, thanks be to you for Christ and his sacrifice. God, unifying us together, bringing us both from far and near together to be one, one body.
working together, being built up together, being united together, God, and bringing us into your presence. God, we thank you for our high priest, Jesus Christ. We glorify you and we praise you for what you have done. God, we thank you that we are no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens. But God, we are within your family. You have adopted us as your children and are building us to be your temple, to be your dwelling place. And God, I pray that we as a church would shine your light and your glory. God, we'd shine your light to one another as we continue to uh, commit to one another, God, and seek the growth in your word and understanding of who you are to grow in our faith of you. God, to continue to fight through and walk through the challenges that we're facing uh, individually and as a body together. God, that we'd be pointing one another to Christ and our hope that we have in Christ. God, we thank you that we can be your temple, that you dwell with us. God, that we can share in your glory and your presence. God, may it just bring us to our knees in awe of who you are. God, and may we go out and share that hope to be the light that you call us to be. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.